Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a sermon once preached by Charles Spurgeon, the English preacher who died in the 1800s. He's a, a man that you are well acquainted with, I'm sure. We're talking about the glorious habitation, and he's gone back to a psalm that, that Moses wrote uh, about how we live, actually live in God. And he says, uh, the dwelling place of man is the place where he can unbend himself and feel himself at home and speak familiarly. In this pulpit, I must somewhat check my words. Um, I, I deal with men of the world who watch my speech and are ever on the catch, men who wish to have this or that to retail. I must be on my guard. Uh, so you men of business, when you're on the exchange or in your shop, you have to guard yourselves. What does the man do at home? He can lay bare his breast and do and say as he pleases. It is his own house, his dwelling place. And is he not master there? Shall he not do as he will with his own? Assuredly, for he feels himself at home. Ah, my beloved, do you ever find yourself in God to be at home? Have you been with Christ and told your secrets in his ear? and found that you could do so without reserve? We do not generally tell secrets to other people, for if we do, and make them promise that they will never tell them, they will never tell them, except to the first person they meet. <laughs> Most persons who have secrets told to them are, are like the lady of whom it is said she never told her secrets except to two sorts of persons, that is, those that asked her, and those that did not. <laughs> you, you must not trust men of the world. But do you know what it is to tell all your secrets to God in prayer? To whisper all your thoughts to Him? You're not ashamed to confess your sins to Him with, with all their aggravations. You make no apologies to God, but, but you put in every aggravation and you describe all the depths of your baseness. Then, as for your little wants... You would be ashamed to tell to another. Before God, you can tell them all. You can tell him your grief that you would not whisper to your dearest friend. With God, you can be always at home. You need be under no restraint. The Christian at once gives God the key of his heart and lets him turn everything over. He says, Here is the key of every cabinet. It is my desire that you would open them all. If there are jewels, they're yours. If there are things that should not be there, drive them out. Search me and try my heart. The more God lives in the Christian, the better the Christian loves him. The oftener God comes to see him, the better he loves his God. And God loves his people all the more when they are familiar with him. Can you say in this sense, Lord, thou hast been my dwelling place? Then again, man's home is the place where his affections are centered. God deliver us from those men who do not love their homes. Lives there a man so base, so dead, that he has no affection for his own house? If so, surely the spark of Christianity must have died entirely out. It is natural that men should love their homes. It is spiritual that they should love them better still. In our homes we find those to whom we must and ever shall be most attached. 
There our best friends and kindred dwell. When we wander, we are as birds that have left their nests and can find no settled home. We wish to go back and, and to see again that smile, to grasp once more that loving hand, to find that we are with those to whom the ties of affection have knit us. We wish to feel, and every Christian man will feel, with regard to his own family, that they are the warp and woof of his nature, that he has become a part and portion of them, and there he centers his affection. He cannot afford to lavish his love everywhere. He centers it in that particular spot, that oasis in this dark desert world. Christian man, is God your habitation in that sense? Have you given your whole soul to God? Do you feel you can bring your whole heart to him and say, Oh God, I, I love from my soul with the most impassioned earnestness. I love you. As the songwriter says, The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from its throne and worship only thee. Oh God, though I sometimes wander, yet I love you in my wanderings and my heart is fixed on you. What though the creature does beguile me, I detest that creature. It is to me as the apple of Sodom. You are the master of my soul, the emperor of my heart. No vice-regent, but king of kings. My spirit is fixed on you as the center of my soul. Again the poet, Thou art the sea of love where all my pleasures roll, the circle where my passions move, the center of my soul. O oh God! Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. My next remark is concerning the, the lease of this dwelling place. God is the believer's habitation. Sometimes, you know, people get turned out of their houses or their houses tumble down about their ears. It's never so with ours. God is our dwelling place throughout all generations. Let us look back in times past and we shall find that God has been our habitation. Oh, the old house at home. Who does not love it? The place of our childhood, the old roof tree, the, the old cottage. There's no village in all the world half so good as that particular village where we were born. Now, true, the gates and stiles and posts have been altered, but still there is an attachment to those old houses the old tree in the park and the old ivy-mantled tower. It's not very picturesque, perhaps, but we love to go see it. We like to see the haunts of our boyhood. There is something pleasant in those old stairs where the clock used to stand and the room where grandmother was wont to bend her knee and where we had family prayer. There is no place like that house, after all. Well, beloved, God has been the habitation of the Christian in years gone by. Christian, your house is indeed a venerable house, and you've long dwelt there. You dwelt there in the person of Christ long before you were brought into this sinful world, and it is to be your dwelling place throughout all generations. You are never to ask for another house. You will always be contented with that one you have. You will never wish to change your habitation, and if you wished it, you could not, for he is your dwelling place in all generations. God give you to know what it is to take this house in its long lease 
and ever to have God for your dwelling place. Well, now I come to improve, as they say, this text somewhat. First, let us improve it to self-examination. How may we know whether we be Christians or not, whether the Lord is our dwelling place and will be throughout all generations? I shall give you some hints for self-examination by referring you to several passages which I have looked up in the first epistle of John. It is remarkable that almost the only scriptural writer who speaks of God as a dwelling place is that most loving apostle, John, out of whose epistle we have been reading. He gives us in the twelfth verse of the fourth chapter one means of knowing whether we are living in God. He says, If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. And again, further on, he says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. You may then tell whether you are a tenant of this great spiritual house by the love you have towards others. Have you a love toward the saints? Well, then you are a saint yourself. The goats will not love the sheep. And if you love the sheep, it's an evidence that you are a sheep yourself. Many of the Lord's weak family never can get any other evidences of their conversion except this. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And though that is a very little evidence, yet it is such a one that the strongest faith often cannot get a much better. If I do not love God, I love his people. If I am not a Christian, I love his house. What? Has the devil told you that you are not the Lord's? Poor faint heart, do you love the Lord's people? Yes, you say, I I love to see their faces and, and hear their prayers. I could almost kiss the hem of their garments. Is it so? And would you give to them if they were poor? Would you visit them if they were sick and tend to them if they needed assistance? Ah, yes. Then fear not. You who love God's people must love the Master. We know we dwell in God if we love one another. In the 13th verse is another sign. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. Have we ever had the spirit of God in us? That's one of the most solemn questions I can ask. Many of you know what it is to be excited by religious feeling who never had the spirit of God. Many of us have great need to tremble lest we should not have received that spirit. I have tried myself scores of times in different ways to see whether I really am a possessor of the Spirit of God or not. I know that the people of the world scoff at the idea and they say it's impossible for anybody to have the Spirit of God. Then it is impossible for anybody to go to heaven. For we must have the Spirit of God. We must be born again of the Spirit before we can enter there. What a serious question this is. Have I the Spirit of God in me? True, my soul is at times lifted on high, and I feel that I could sing like a seraph. True, sometimes I am melted down by deep devotion, and I could pray in terrible solemnity. But so can hypocrites, perhaps. 
Have I the Spirit of God? Have you any evidence within you that you have the Spirit? Are you sure that you are not laboring under a delusion and a dream? Have you actually the Spirit of God within you? If so, you dwell in God. That's the second sign. But the Apostle gives another sign in the 15th verse. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. The confession of our faith in the Savior is another sign that we live in God. O oh, poor heart, can you not come under this sign? You may have but little boldness, but can you not say, I believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, you dwell in God. Many of you I know say, when I hear a sermon, I feel affected by it. When I'm in the house of God, I feel like a child of God, but the business and cares and troubles of life take me off, and then I fear I am not. But you can say, I do believe in Christ. I know I cast myself on his mercy and hope to be saved by him. Then do not say you are not a child of God if you have faith. But there is one more sign whereby we ought to examine ourselves in the third chapter, 24th verse. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. Obedience to the commandments of God is a blessed sign of a dwelling in God. Some of you have a deal of religious talk, but not much religious walk. A large stock of outside piety, but not much real inward piety, which develops itself in your actions. That is a hint for some of you who know that it is right to be baptized and are not. You know it is one of the commandments of God. He that believeth shall be baptized, and you are neglecting what you know to be your duty. You are dwelling in God, I doubt not, but you lack one evidence of it, namely, obedience to God's commandments. Obey God, and then you will know that you are dwelling in Him. But I have another word by way of improvement, and that is one of congratulation. You who dwell in God, allow me to congratulate you. Thrice happy men are you if you are dwelling in God. You need not blush to compare yourselves with angels. You need not think that any on earth can share such happiness as yours. Zion, oh, how blessed are you, freed from all sins. Now you are, through Christ, made to dwell in God and therefore are eternally secure. I congratulate you, Christians, first that you have such a magnificent house to dwell in. You have not a palace that shall be as gorgeous as Solomon's, a mighty palace as immense as the dwellings of the kings of Assyria or Babylon, but you have a God that is more than mortal creatures can behold. You dwell in an immortal fabric. You dwell in the Godhead, something which is beyond all human skill. I congratulate, moreover, that you live in such a perfect house, there never was a house on earth that could not be made a little better, but the house you dwell in has everything you want. In God you have all you require. I congratulate you, moreover, that you live in a house that shall last forever, a dwelling place that shall not pass away. When this world shall have been scattered like a dream, when, like the bubble on the breaker, creation shall have died away, when all this universe shall have died out like a spark from an expiring brand, your house shall live 
and stand more imperishable than marble, more solid than granite, self-existent as God, for it is God. (laughs) Be happy then. And now lastly, a word of admonition and warning to some of you. My hearers, what a pity it is that we have to divide our congregation, that we cannot speak to you in a mass as being all Christians. This morning I would that I could take God's word and address it to you all, that you all might share the sweet promises it contains. But some of you would not have them if I were to offer them. Some of you despise Christ, my blessed Master. Many of you think sin but a trifle, and grace to be worthless, heaven to be a vision, hell to be a fiction. Some of you are careless and hardened and thoughtless without God and without Christ. Oh, my hearers, I wonder at myself that I should have so little benevolence that I do not preach more fervently to you. Methinks if if I could get a right estimate of your soul's value that I should not speak as I do now, with stammering tongue, but with flaming words. I have great cause to blush at my own slothfulness, though God knows I have striven to preach God's truth as vehemently and as as possible, and, and I would spend myself in his service. But I wonder why I, I do not stand in every street in London and preach his truth. When I think of the thousands of souls in this great city that have never heard of Jesus, that have never listened to him, When I think of how much ignorance exists and how little gospel preaching there is, how few souls are saved, I think, Oh God, what little grace I must have that I do not strive more for souls. One word by way of warning. Do you know, poor soul, that you have not a house to live in? You have a house for your body, but no house for your soul. Have you ever seen a poor girl at midnight? sitting down on a doorstep crying. Have you? Somebody passes by and says, Why do you sit here? I have no house, sir. I have no home. Where's your father? My father's dead, sir. Where's your mother? I have no mother, sir. Have you no friends? No friends at all. Have you no house? No, I I have none. I'm homeless. And she shivers in the chill air and gathers her poor ragged shawl around her and cries again, I have no house, I have no home. Would you not pity her? Would you blame her for her tears? Ah, There are some of you that have homeless souls here this morning. It is something to have a homeless body, but, but to think of a homeless soul. Methinks I see you in eternity, sitting on the doorstep of heaven. An angel says, What? Have you no house to live in? No house, says the poor soul. Have you no father? No, God is not my father, and there is none beside him. Have you no mother? No, the the, the, the church is not my mother. I, I never sought her ways, nor loved Jesus. I have neither father nor mother. Have you no house, then? No, I, I am a houseless soul. No, but there's one thing worse about that. Houseless souls have to be sent into hell to a dungeon, to a lake that burns with fire, houseless soul. In a, in a little while, your body will have gone, and where will your house house yourself when the hot hail of eternal vengeance comes from heaven? 
Where will you hide your guilty head when the winds of the last judgment day shall sweep on you with fury? Where will you shelter yourself when the blast of the terrible one shall be as a storm against a wall? When the darkness of eternity comes upon you and hell thickens around you, it will be all in vain for you to cry, Rocks, hide me! Mountains, fall upon me! The rocks will not obey you. The mountains will not hide you. Caverns would be palaces if you could dwell in them, but there will be no caverns for you to hide your head in. You'll be houseless souls, houseless spirits, wandering through the shades of hell, tormented, destitute, afflicted, and that throughout eternity. Poor, houseless soul. Do you need a house? Well, I have a house to to lease to you this morning for every sinner who feels his, his miser and his misery. Do you want a house for your soul? Then I will condescend to men of low estate and tell you in homely language that I have a house to let. Do you ask me what is the purchase price? I will tell you. It is something less than proud human nature would like to give. It is without money and without price. Ah, you would like to pay some rent, would you? You would love to do something to win Christ. You, you cannot have the house then. I said it is without money and without price. I've told you enough of the house itself, and therefore I will not describe its excellencies, but I will tell you one thing, that if you feel you are a houseless soul this morning, you may not have the key tomorrow. And if you feel yourself to be a houseless soul today... You may enter it now. If you had a house of your own, I would not offer it to you. But since you have no other, here it is. Will you take my master's house on a lease for all eternity with nothing to pay for it, nothing but the ground rent of loving and serving him forever? Will you take Jesus and dwell in him throughout eternity or will you be content to be a houseless soul? Come inside, sir. See, it, it's furnished from top to bottom with all you need. It has cellars filled with gold, more than you will spend as long as you live. It has a parlor where you can entertain yourself with Christ and feast on his love. It has tables well stored with food for you to live on forever. It has a drawing room of brotherly love where you can receive your friends. You'll find a resting room up there where you can rest with Jesus. And on the top, there's a lookout whence you can see heaven itself. Will you have the house or will you not? Ah, if you're a houseless, you will say, I should like to have the house, but, but may I have it? Yes, yes, there's the key. The key is come to Jesus. But you say, I'm too shabby for such a house. Never mind. There are garments inside. As Roland Hill once said, Come naked, come filthy, come ragged, come poor, come wretched, come dirty, come just as you are. If you feel guilty and condemned, come. And though the house is too good for you, Christ will make you good enough for the house by and by. He'll wash you and cleanse you, and you will yet be able to sing with Moses with the same unfaltering voice, Lord, thou hast been my dwelling place throughout all generations. Taken from the Metropolitan Tabernacle Pulpit, 
C.H. Spurgeon collection. I got it at SpurgeonGems.org. SpurgeonGems.org, a website put together by Perry Boardman, who collected hundreds and hundreds of Spurgeon sermons, and we can access them still. He being dead, yet speak it, yes. Thank you so much for being with us today. Do look around this website. Honestly, there are many other Spurgeon sermons and many other sermons of great preachers. And We talk of North Korea in English and Korean languages. We have uh, teachings uh, that we've put together over the years, 20 plus years of doing this. Please look around and come back. There'll be uh, some great preachers even later on this week. God bless you. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.